couple things before I get started. Um, my name is Mike Luna. I am one of the elders here at Church in the Square. I'm not normally up here. Um, actually, it was, uh, I guess like October was the last time I'm up here. And I, back then I said, I, this is my annual, you know, February, let's get this out of the way quickly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm uh, married to Nicole. Actually, last month we just, or December, we celebrated 10 years of being married. Um, vocationally, um, my every day is I work in music as an artist manager, and it is as cool as it sounds. Um, and this is not a, this is not the Kansas City football jersey. This is actually the Canton Bulldogs, my favorite football player in all of history, Jim Thorpe. This man won the decathlon in the Olympics with his shoes were stolen. This dude had to wear two different types of shoes and won the five events in the Olympics. Went on to play professional football. Anyways, I'm a huge fan. This is that jersey. <laughs> All right. Sunday, December 22nd, 2019, Nicole and I decided to go get breakfast before coming to the gathering. So we go do that, we come to the gathering. After the gathering, we decide to go, or we go to a friend's house for lunch. And then from there, we go do grocery shopping, get food for the week. And then we come home. And as we're pulling up into our parking pad behind our uh, two flat, we see our amazing bulldog, Abigail. And if you've ever been to our house, you know why she's so amazing. But we see our dog sitting outside up the upstairs of our upstairs neighbor's door in the back. And we're like, we rush out of the car because it's like, you know, we're pretty consistent about, you know, locking our doors and, and those, those things, making sure that stuff. So it's like, how did she get out of our house? Well, Come to find out our house got broken into. Our place got broken into. And you know, they you know, they took some, they took my laptop, they took Nicole's laptop, some electronics. Um, we have someone that lives with us, they took some jewelry from them. Uh, but that was Sunday. And back up a little bit, December 13th, I get a text from my mother to my two brothers and I that my aunt, my mom's younger sister, had fallen into a diabetic coma. Fast forward to Monday, December 23rd, I get the call that my aunt passes away. The next day, December 24th, Tuesday. I guess it wasn't good enough to just break into our home. See, my keys were left in one of the bags that were stolen. So the person or persons, whoever broke into our house, came back and stole our car. That's why you didn't see us here for the Christmas Eve gathering, because we had to spend Christmas Eve at the police station filling out a stolen car report. Thankfully, Wednesday, Christmas Day, nothing crazy happened, nothing. That was our Christmas gift. Was Nothing nuts went on. We got to just hang out 
And thankfully that Thursday, our car was found. So today I'm going to attempt to answer the questions, what does this commandment mean? How does Jesus fulfill this commandment? Why should we obey this commandment? And how do we obey this commandment? See, that week, if I'm honest, I was, coveting was ruling my heart. I wanted just about anyone else's life other than mine that week. I know some of you are like, yo, don't be so, so hard on yourself. You were wronged. Yes, that, I agree. The fact is we were wronged. I experienced loss. Those are facts. But the disposition of my heart was coveting because I literally would have taken just about anyone else's life in exchange for mine. We know the saying, you better than me. See, that's a desire that puts myself above others. That's sinful. See, desiring something for the benefit at the cost of someone else's suffering or without regard to the other person, that is what it means to covet. And see, the difference between wanting something and coveting something. So, like, where's Jeremy? Jeremy Lamore, this dude, mugs went, that Adidas hat he's got on today, that's dope. And it's one thing for me to look at that hat and want it, but have the understanding that that belongs to Jeremy. That's his hat, and it's okay. Like, it's, it's, that's where the desire stops. But if I am to look at this hat and want it and want to take it from him without regard for him or whoever else it affects, that is a sin. I'll say it again, but I'll include us all. Desire for our benefit at the cost of someone else's suffering or without regard for another person or persons, that is coveting. See, God is basically summing, wrapping up all the other commandments in this one. The unique thing about this particular commandment is that it enters our everyday. See, we've been, we being humans, have always since the beginning been coveting. If we look at, at Genesis, Adam and Eve covet the omniscience, the all-knowing power of God, and succumb to the temptation of the evil one, in particular the fruit that was forbidden. In Genesis 25, we see Jacob and Esau. Jacob covets his older brother's birthright, and Esau covets hunger. And if you want to find out the mess that happens from there, go read it in Genesis 25. In 2 Samuel 11, you have the story of King David committing, coveting his soldier Uriah's wife. And it gets messy real quick. This dude commits adultery and murder. And it all stemmed from covetousness. Oh, you need me to go New Testament? I got you. <laughs> Matthew 16, 21 through 23, I'll summarize it. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he's letting them know that he's about to be crucified. And Peter, out of a covetous, par- out of a covetous heart, tells the Lord for it not to be so. And he's doing it because he thinks Jesus is setting up the kingdom in a different way. 
He thinks Jesus is about to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom, and Peter will be able to become a ruler alongside Jesus. But Jesus tells this dude, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Peter is worried he won't attain the position he covets so much. He doesn't want to be ruled by the Romans, and I know that feeling all too well, but we'll get to that later. Right now, though, let me paint a picture of coveting in real time for you. See, the last two times, and the only two times I've ever been up here in the history of church in the square, I have expressed that I don't like being up here that I would rather be the behind the scenes elder person or whatever. But what I haven't said and need to confess to all of you right now is why. See, for me, I covet being behind the scenes so I can avoid responsibility and, and accountability. So being up here teaching, preaching the word of God comes with responsibility and accountability. So if I'm not up here doing this, I don't have to answer for it. But in that avoidance, in that coveting of being behind the scenes, I've been disobedient. See, for about six weeks, over and over again, I had this prompting in my heart that, that I should preach you know, this commandment. I don't have, I didn't feel like I had any special insight or anything, but I couldn't get rid of it. It was just constantly in my mind, just consequence, I just, like, wherever I was, about two weeks ago, I pulled Jason to the side out there in the foyer after the gathering, and, like, it was so, I don't know, I guess it was fear. I was so afraid of, like, saying these words, because that, if you know me, I just, I'm not like that. I'm not one who, like, the Lord told me, da, 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 da. I'm just not that dude. And and I, I feel like, the way I remember it, I feel like I just blurted it out. I was just like, I feel like I'm supposed to preach the Ten Commandments. And if I'm being honest, I was really hoping that Jason would, would have been like, look, dude, I've already been, you know, studying it, I already got it. Like, you don't have to worry about this. Or that he would tell me, like, look, you're, you're tripping, dude, just, just relax. And I definitely didn't think I would be up here confessing this. And for complete transparency, in my mind, why would I try to get up here when we got Jason? I've been in the church world a long time. I mean, I became like a believer when I was 17, started interning and stuff at churches at 18. You know, I'm 40. Man, that sounds old. Um, <laughs> But I've, you know, I've, I've heard thousands of sermons in my life. And I'm telling you, Church in the Square, God has been very kind to us in equipping and gifting Jason. Trust me, if you know me, I'm not one to, to gas people. And sorry for those that, sorry, it's just, this is just how I talk. So, so I'll, I'll define gas. What that means is like just to puff someone up or something up. That's what I mean when I say gas. 
But I think it's good and it is encouraging to recognize how God has gifted our brothers and sisters. So homie, be encouraged. Be confident that God has gifted you to preach from this platform. Back to my confession. See, God was convicting me to be obedient in shepherding and discipling the people of Church in the Square, you all. And sometimes that means I need to be up here along with the other three at times to preach for the sake of discipling us to be more like Jesus. So fam, please forgive me for not being obedient to what God was telling me to do. So how does Jesus fulfill this commandment? Well, Jesus is consistently fulfilling the commandment, not so much in telling people to stop coveting, but rather engaging the heart and the concept of coveting. We look in Matthew 6, he's talking about giving to the needy and imploring us not to covet the praise of others, but to give to the needy in secret, to guard our own hearts from ourselves coveting our own glory. In Matthew 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The disciples want to send the crowd away and are coveting their own comfort. And Jesus is like, nah, I got this. What's available? They find this dude that has a couple fish and some loaves of bread. Jesus takes it, multiplies it, gives thanks, and feeds everyone. Again, showing us to engage those in need and not to covet our own comfort. Coveting comfort. That's probably the thing that we covet the most here in, in the West, in America. We want to be comfortable. Don't dare ask me to be uncomfortable. Be comfortable. That is such a premium. That is such a high value. I'll talk about that more later. In John 4, when Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman, she questions him about talking to her because they are not the, of the same ethnic background or cultural background. And it's also not culturally acceptable for them to have an interaction. And instead of treating her as less than or using her for his benefit, Jesus treats her as an image bearer of God and offers her living water. And finally, Jesus also fulfills the commandment when he was sentenced to death for committing no crimes, but paying the price for all of our sin, he paid the price we should have paid. He had every right not to submit to the cross, but because he did not covet the will of man, but rather to do the will of the Father, he laid his rights aside out of obedience in defeating covetousness in his death, burial, and victorious resurrection so that we would not have to be owned by what Melissa Kruger, a sister in Christ, who's a writer, subtitled an article I'm about to reference, The Forgotten Sin of Coveting. So why must we still obey this commandment? Well, Melissa Kruger's article, Dangerous Desires, The Forgotten Sin of Coveting, it reads, often we believe that coveting is rooted in our circumstances. 
But in reality, coveting is a sin pattern that works in our hearts. Let me say that again. Coveting is a sin pattern that works in our hearts. Coveting is never solved by attainment. We may experience a temporary satisfaction by gaining an object of our desire, but eventually the covetous pattern will begin anew. Coveting is a heart problem, not a circumstantial problem. Our inordinate desires are not limited to money or possessions. We covet relationships, giftedness, stages of life, accolades, respect, beauty, authority, and comfort. In truth, we can covet anything we long for in life. We need to obey this commandment because it shows up in our everyday. It's like God knew what he was talking about when he gave these commandments. See, coveting encompasses the other nine and it leads to disobeying them. Just a couple examples. Examples: If you covet anything, you put it above God. You make it an idol. First commandment, broken. Covet someone's spouse, that can lead to adultery. Commandment broken. Covet someone's property, that can lead to stealing. Covet a servant, that can lead to false witness. Servants were a status. The more servants you have, the more status. Or if you take or kill someone else's servants, the less status you have. They have. For us, in my look different. It might not, we don't have servants necessarily, but at our jobs, how we treat the other people that we work with, to climb the ladder, what are we willing to do to climb the ladder, to get the promotion and the raises? See, Jesus also commands us on how to view one another. This is not optional. This is not if we like it, and it is not when people treat you well. Yep, I'm finally getting to the golden rule. Again, Matthew 7, 12 to 14 reads, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. See, if we viewed each other, as Jesus teaches in John 13, 34 to 35, to love one another as he has loved us, we wouldn't covet. Our hearts wouldn't make room for it. But the only way for us to love one another like Jesus loved us is to love him first. And that only happens if our hearts are transformed by God. I know some of you are sitting there wondering, when is he going to start addressing the email that Jason sent out on Friday? It's coming. Get ready to be uncomfortable. How do we obey this commandment? How we obey this commandment is by first and foremost trusting God. I know that sounds like an easy answer, but let's be honest. How many of us struggled to trust the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the gracious Father, who out of love sent his Son to pay the price for our sins in reconciling us back to God through his death and victorious resurrection. I'll speak for myself, it's not easy. 
I struggle with this in so many different ways. However, we have the scriptures that God gave us. He encourages us, loves us, reveals his plan to us. So let's look at God's word. Luke 12, 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Do we treasure the gifts of the gospel more than anything else? Do we trust in our time of weakness that God will sympathize with with us? Hebrews has something to say about that. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, of help in time of need. So we need not be anxious for tomorrow because the creator of yesterday, today, and tomorrow is there when we are weak and understands our temptations. He is trustworthy. We are to trust God and love our neighbor. Now I want to talk about how we can love our neighbor. Love our neighbor in such a way that we do not covet. Love them in the way that we want to be treated. See, today's not lost on me. Today is virtually an American holiday. Today is the Super Bowl. If you feel the need to squirm, go ahead, because it is about to get real uncomfortable. For me, this is usually a time when I get together with friends, have some good food and drink, and just, just be around the company of good friends. 
But this year is different for me. Because on the world stage today is a team whose mascot is very offensive to me and the people of my ethnic background. I know some are probably thinking, Mike, relax, it's not that big a deal. Oh, but it is a big deal. See, with the history of this country and how it was founded, just to take you on a very short timeline, 13 million of my people were murdered in the building of this country. Treaty after treaty was ignored and broken in the building of this country. My people were eradicated from the land that they occupied. Some going from Florida to Oklahoma. The state of Georgia didn't want to deal with that. They just decided to kill them. And then even you have in the early 20th century, not even 100 years ago, Bam, the church, the church and the government created these boarding schools to send young Native children to be assimilated to American culture. And what that assimilation looked like is they took these kids away from their parents, away from their homes, not being allowed to go back to visit them, but rather they cut their hair. They made them dress in European clothing. And fam, when the kids would speak their native tongue, their native language, they would be beat. Some of them were beaten so bad that they died. We're talking the 1950s and 60s. This is not that long ago. Up until 1983, it was illegal for natives to be able to practice any kind of ceremony of their culture. See, this country has tried to over and over again eradicate us, get rid of us. Even as, as recent as last year, there's a reservation up in New England the Wapagnong people, they wanted to build a casino that they estimated would bring in $4 billion of revenue. And what they wanted to do with that revenue was to build a hospital, because that's rare on our reservations to have a hospital, have adequate health care. But the government wanted that land. And see, there's... Today, there's 537 recognized tribes by the U.S. government. But in 2018, it was 538 because the government pulled their, them being federally recognized. There was no process. They just decided to do it. They just decided to pull it. So yes, it is a big deal. I'm talking to you as a brother in Christ. For that reason alone, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ of a different ethnic background, supporting organizations that use my ethnic background to profit from, for entertainment person purposes, it's not okay. 
And I understand. I understand, man, that you guys have grown up being told, do what you want. Take what you want. Consume however you want. It's not a big deal. To quote the email Jason sent out this week, yep, Jason, you still get to preach this week, man. When we think about it, our story as a country began with coveting. A land which was inhabited by indigenous people caught the eye of 15th century explorers and they purposed to take it. Think about this with me for a second. We are the only ethnicity in this country that is used as a mascot. The only. You would never dare see another ethnicity used as a mascot, ever. But some of you in your elementary, middle, high school, colleges, that probably was, is probably warriors, Indians, something. You might be thinking, well, yeah, it's like honoring and celebrating. No, it's not. For us, for my people, it is a reminder of how we are still viewed as savages, as uneducated, as uncivilized, and as less than human. We are just a mascot to be appropriated and consumed, not honored and celebrated. Well, this savage has a master's degree in Greek and Hebrew. And I'm about to really get us uncomfortable. I know the history behind the Chicago NHL team name. It is named after a native leader who was forced out of Illinois in a land grab in the early 1800s. Forced to surrender, he was sent to D.C. where he was paraded around up the East Coast into New York as a conquered savage to be put on display. Then an army division in World War I decided to name themselves after him. And then one of the members of that division started the Chicago NHL team. The name is not honoring. It's another example of the conquerors exploiting the conquered. So what does this mean for us in 2020 as a disciple of Jesus? What does this have to do with how we obey the commandment about coveting? Well, I'm not going to give you an A, B, or C to do, but what I will tell you is that I'm your brother in Christ who is telling you I do not want to be treated or exploited in this way. I can't make you do anything, but I will encourage you, however, to pray and ask God to open your eyes to the things that you are blind to and to soften your heart to the things it is hardened to. Please understand, this is not easy for me to say these things. The American culture is rooted in covetousness. And I'm sure some are even thinking, if you don't like it here, go somewhere else. Fam, I was here first. My people were here first. Even though I'm pointing these things out, I'm not doing this out of anger. 
Real talk, though, this is coming on from a place of hurt that fellow brothers and sisters in Christ would rather be entertained and covet that entertainment and participate in exploiting people by something that is offensive and racist towards a people. People that are in their own family of God. And it's not just sports teams either, family. It's in our everyday, in clothing we buy, toys we get our kids. Yeah, fam, that teepee you got from that big blue box store in the suburbs or the store with the big red logo? Yeah, that's not cool. It's neither being used for educating about indigenous people, it's being terminated on a child's entertainment. And it has way deeper meaning than that. We buy these things regardless of how it affects the people it is associated with. And some of you might be sitting there like, yo, I had no idea. To quote my favorite rapper of all time, the notorious B.I.G., now you know. To go back to the quote the email again, our story as a neighborhood includes coveting an area which has been, which has seen the Latinx population decrease by 20,000 as the cost of living has skyrocketed. Let's just be honest with who we are, fam. The majority of us in the room are upwardly mobile, upper middle class. Not everybody in the room, that's not everybody's story, but the majority of people in this room, that is, that is our story. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, a, it's not wrong. However, if we view the gifts of wealth that has been given to us by God as a right and not a tool to be used for his purposes, we are coveting our wealth. Buying a new home in an area where people are being forced out, not at gunpoint like my ancestors were, but rather by the weapon of greed disguised by the claim of progress and coveting comfort. The mindset of being entitled to a big house because I worked hard for it. Fam, you were able to work hard for it because God knew you in the womb and he knitted you together. He gave you those talents. He gave you that work ethic. The mindset that we have the right to consume whatever we want, when we want, regardless of who it affects, is in opposition to this commandment and to what Jesus teaches. And fam, I'm in this with you. This past summer, Nicole and I were looking at buying a house, buying one to rehab. We had to seriously think about what it would do to our neighbors. Would it raise the property taxes to the point of where people around us, our neighbors around us, would be forced out? Or would we begin a trend of that happening? Yes, we must consider everything we do, if it is, first, if it is honoring to God, and then if we are loving our neighbors. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23 reads, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them, 
To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. A lot of law there. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might have, that I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. If this would be the disposition of our hearts, how crazy would it be to see what God would do here in Logan Square, in Chicago, in Illinois, in the U.S., North America, and the ends of the earth? Let's be clear. This is not a one way. I too must treat you like like I want to be treated. My people of color, let's talk for a second. We know the stereotypes we have of white American culture. We are not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ well, but just playing the game so we don't upset anyone. Yet we lovingly engage our family with patience, understanding, and forgiveness. Always pointing to Christ, always. First and foremost, we are followers of Christ, made in the image of God, chosen, forgiven by God through the person and work of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to make disciples of all nations. This is not just a command for white American Christians. We can no longer just sit on the sidelines and wish things were different. We must actually repent of coveting being right Rather, we love with the patience that we were loved with in Christ Jesus. We are all commanded to obey God, the God of the universe. As I close, whatever you got to do to settle your heart, to focus, it doesn't bow your head, close your eyes, or I know for me, I close my eyes, I get crazy distracted. I want to close with this last paragraph from the Friday's email. Jason had no idea he was going to land the plane on this sermon. For many of us, these specific cultural stories are just basic facts of domestic migration and economic advancement. For other of us, these are deep wounds and violent injustices. And regardless of our initial reaction, we are brothers and sisters. Let me repeat that. We are brothers and sisters. That means as the people of God, we do not simply move with nor blindly decry the tides of cultural change. 
Rather, we must learn, all learn to trust that God alone will provide all that we need. We don't have to covet. By grace, we can seek his will together as he has prescribed in the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm gonna repeat this last line again, fam. By grace, we seek his will together as he has prescribed in the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount.